Okay, folks, like Poltergeist 2, they're back. I'm Dr. Ed. I'm Dr. Evan. And we're paranormal PhDs in PhD Paranormal. Ooh. Where we talk about spooky paranormal things in a funny, sometimes not funny, fashion. Well, funny to us. Funny to us, but we are very funny. You can ask anyone. We're yeah, a laugh, can... laugh riot. <laughs> <laughs> See? But now I'm thinking of um, Poltergeist 2 with a very creepy man who's like, as smart. Yes. It's been forever since I've seen it, actually. I tried to watch Poltergeist 1 around Halloween, uh-huh. and I dozed off. What? And then it was like slipping into my dreams in a rather not comfortable way. So I shut it off and oh. put on, I think, some Disney movie. Uh, which was much more enjoyable. But maybe you were like Craig T. Nelson. No. Welcome to my dream. Alas not. Alas um, not. Okay. But anyway, we want to welcome you guys back as listeners, you folks, because it is you as an audience that makes this worthwhile. So if you've been listening to our podcast, we hope that you continue to listen and hopefully you tell your friends and family members and enemies about this wonderful podcast that will make you laugh but don't laugh too hard if you have diarrhea. You can <laughs> check out a, free, a previous episode if that reference doesn't make sense. So, Dr. Hart, we're back from... Ease, my last name. Oh, biscuits and gravy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Dr. Evan. <laughs> <laughs> and now everyone can put it together. Um, Dr. Evan, uh, we're back from break. Yeah. We're starting the semester again. But we were away from each other, and you were back in Indiana, right? Yes, and you were in the grand old state of Oregon. Indeed, indeed. Did anything spooky happen to you over the winter holidays? I, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define spooky. Sure. I generally define spooky as things that make me spooked. Well, so nothing really spooky <laughs> happened. I was back in the house of Clive. Right, and Clive didn't knock. He didn't visit. I mean, not to my knowledge. Now... One of the cats might have seen Clive. I don't know. My parents have some cats. And in my parents' house, there's kind of like a little cubby area where there's a door that comes into the kitchen and also the door that leads to the basement. And they're kind of, they open in the same space. Okay. And in that space, my mom, who is a master gardener, like honestly, you know, took the class and all that, has a big gourd that she's drawing out. She's drawing out a gourd. Yes. For fun and profit? I I mean, that's, you know, like if you ever see gourds and they're dried out. Yes, I've just never seen anyone who actually did it themselves. Well. For fun and profit. I don't think it's for profit. (laughs) Um, I think she's just drying it out. I don't know. It's very funny because it's, um, how shall I phrase this in case there are younger listeners, Um, very phallic in nature. Okay. And, (laughs) why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. You're laughing. Okay, so there's a cat named Larry. Okay, I've seen Larry. Larry's my favorite cat. He looks like a cat. He's wonderful. Larry hates it when people aren't in, like, his space. He wants everyone around him. So he has a tendency to walk into that area and cry at the basement door, waiting for my dad, who's a woodworker, to come in from his workshop. So he comes in from outside, comes up the stairs. But we noticed that we would hear Larry crying when everyone's upstairs, and I'd go into the kitchen and he'd be standing at the gourd, looking at the gourd and crying. So I've decided that the gourd is haunted. My mom thinks I'm an idiot, but 
Well, it is possible. I have seen many a TikTok video of a cat that is terrified by a cucumber that they suddenly discover on the floor. Okay, first of all, if you were walking, all of a sudden a cucumber appeared out of nowhere, you'd be <laughs> terrified too. Perhaps, but I don't know. I mean, so, but the gourd doesn't make any noises. No, and he just sits there, so it's in the corner, so he just sits there and stands right in front of it, you know, just sits like a cat and just meows at it for a very long time until basically you have to, like, force him away from the gourd. Perhaps the meows, if we were to translate, is him saying, Evan's mom, why are you doing this? Why are you drying this gourd out? Why don't you just buy one at the store? Well, I, I, d- I doubt it. Cause they're pretty used to plants around the house. Uh-huh. A gourd is not a plant. It's not the same thing. Look. A gourd is a gourd. I'm not sure if the cat has the reasoning level to understand. Oh, so now you diminish Larry. I see okay, how this Okay, well, I would never diminish Larry. <laughs> He's my favorite. I love him. Gotcha. But that's about the spookiest thing that happened. Well, that is um, oddly spooky. Obviously, we know that pets can sometimes signal um, non-normal entities that might be around. Uh, when I was a kid, we had dogs who would frequently growl at random things when there was nothing around for them to be growling about. So, you know, we often suspected that our crawl space was haunted and the dogs would sometimes growl or sometimes they would look at the ceiling and growl. Likely they just heard something skittering about the roof, but, you know, pets are super sensitive and animals know more than we do most days. They just don't know how to write it down for us so we can figure it out. Yeah, so that and watching some spooky stuff on the Netflix, that's about it. Gotcha. Well, nothing spooky happened in Oregon. Um, The spookiest thing that happened to me is that I slept on the couch every night, and um, my sister's cat would run like a maniac through the sliding door blinds, making horrible clattering noises. I mean, it would have been spooky because there are probably several opportunities when my sister may have woken up and found her cat amongst the deceased cats because I was so upset with it, but... Nothing really spooky happened. You're in the cat space. Uh, no, no, no. That's my my space. Nope. <sighs> cats. <laughs> anyway, uh, I do enjoy cats um, for breakfast. Stop it's a, it. It's an old joke, and it's a bad joke. But obviously, uh, well, nothing spooky happened to me, and we had a quasi-phallic, well, phallic quasi-haunted gourd. Let's get all the <laughs> adjectives in the right order. Um One of the things that we did want to talk about very briefly before we go into today's episode is really that we tend to often think that spooky things are only for October for Halloween and that we really don't talk about them year round. But spooky things happen all the time. And I would imagine, for example, if you were to go to any quote unquote haunted cemetery in February, you may have just exactly the same experience that you would have in October. I don't think that ghost punch time cards. I don't think that they have a calendar and I don't think that they have paid time off. So I think it is just a matter of remembering that the paranormal and odd things happen all the time and um, we can talk about them all the time. And with that in mind, we're actually going to turn to the subject of today's podcast, which is actually inspired by a listener story that was sent to us, um, and Dr. Evan will tell you the story a little bit later, Um, but we want to just stress that your stories matter to us because your stories are as interesting as any of the stories that we might read on the internet in our efforts to find interesting things to talk about. Maybe even more interesting. Probably more interesting. And we want to remind you that we do have a Facebook page that you can check out. We also have an email address, phdparanormal at gmail.com, that you can email us your stories. 
We, of course, will protect your identity. We're not going to reveal anything about you. Um, you're free to tell us anything you want. We don't judge. We might laugh a little bit if it's funny to us, but we'd never laugh directly at you. So please share your stories with us, with us is what I'm trying to say. So what we're going to talk about today is something with which we're all very familiar, and it is the notion of something called a shadow person or shadow figure. So Dr. Evan, let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced a shadow figure or a shadow person? Yes. Tell us about it. Well, so I have various sleep problems. I do not have sleep paralysis, which I think you're going to talk about later. I do sleepwalk, um, mostly during times of extreme stress. And I do sometimes have that feeling where you wake up and you don't know that you're fully awake yet. So it doesn't happen here anymore. But when I lived in Cincinnati, when I went to grad school, I would regularly wake up and I'd notice all of these people standing around my bed looking down at me. And they were shadows. They weren't real people. So I couldn't tell, you know, if they were male or female. I couldn't tell anything about them. But I would regularly see them, and it never really scared me. It was just sort of like, oh, they're here again. And then I'd wake up or I'd fall back asleep. So that's about my experience with shadow people. I don't gotcha. see them often. Have you ever seen them when you were not in a sleeping sort of situation because there is lots of conversations about um, one shadow figures are becoming more prevalent now this may just be because we have more internet sites talking about these sorts of experiences uh, so we don't really know if they're becoming more prevalent or if we're just talking about them more often but some of the stuff that we're seeing in the paranormal chat rooms is really about people who are awake doing something normal whether it's cooking dinner maybe reading a book uh, maybe watching TV, and they see something just out of the corner of their eye, a dark, shadowy figure, um, but it's really not a figure. It's more of a dark, shadowy shape because it doesn't really necessarily look human. So have you had anything while you were not sleeping? Not that I recall. If I've experienced it, I probably just thought it was something out of the corner of my eye. I can't re recall any experiences where I felt unnerved or spooked out right? because of something I might have seen out of the corner of my eye. Yes. But what about you? Uh, I haven't. Um, I have had some experiences with sleep paralysis, which I'll talk about. Um, I don't get it very often. I used to get it fairly regularly, about once or twice a month. I don't get it often now. And in those circumstances, unlike many people who suffer from sleep paralysis, I never actually saw something in the space with me, but it was a sensation that there was something mm -hmm. in the space with me, which is slightly different it is, than yeah. actually seeing a shadow figure. Of course, though, if you've listened to an earlier podcast, uh, I live in an apartment and I occasionally <laughs> have forgotten to lock my door. So sometimes there have been shadowy figures, which are real people in my apartment late at night who shouldn't be there. Who were then told to get out. Who were told to get the expletive out uh, <laughs> repeatedly, and then again, I had to proceed to purge my apartment of any potential lingering suspects. Um, there were none, of course. Did you sage? I did not sage. <laughs> did you smudge? I did not smudge. <laughs> I may have cooked some bacon, though. Oh, well, I mean, bacon will drive out spirits, too. Or will it bring them in? I don't know. I don't like the smell of bacon. <sighs> Blasphemy. I like bacon. Like, I like to eat bacon, but the smell of cooking bacon makes me want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. 
Uh, maybe not. <laughs> you, you're, I mean, I rarely say this to people, but you're so wrong. <laughs> bacon is amazing. Your bacon tastes amazing. Your stomach is weird. No. Your olfactory senses are wrong. I'm not saying that bacon is gross. I love bacon. Bacon adds to every dish. However, the smell of it cooking is foul. Really? Yes. Do you think it's the grease? I don't know, but it genuinely makes me want to vomit. Well, so you just buy pre-cooked bacon? I, so I personally never cook bacon. Interesting. I let other people cook bacon for me. Interesting. <laughs> well, um, with that in mind. I <laughs> thought <laughs> I've alienated all the listeners. <laughs> with your anti-bacon smell. I do not. Okay. Bacon smell. Okay. <laughs> Tirade. Um, to return us back to point, we do want to talk about shadow figures. And like we said, this is based upon a story that was sent to us by a listener, uh, which we'll hear about in just a moment. But shadow figures have been around for a very long time, from what I could tell from my deep, deep research on the subject. Now, again, remember, I am a political scientist, so um, my time has been a little bit occupied this week. Did uh, something happen? Yes, between an inauguration and... Uh, an earlier insurrection attempt. There's been a lot going on, right? It's been very busy. But in the interstices of those moments, I was able to find some time to peruse the internet and read a little bit about this. And what's very interesting about shadow figures is that there's a whole bunch of potential um, theories or explanations for why we may see them. And... Myself being a fan of Occam's Razor, which is sometimes the simplest answer is probably the best answer or the correct answer, the first theory that we actually see about a shadow person is really that shadow people are figments of our imagination, right? That we're catching a flurry of a movement with a curtain or, you know, our brain has just kind of drifted a little bit and we think we see something that's not actually there. Now, again, with respect to these shadow figures, it's worth noting that what the literature, such as we see in the internet chat rooms, <laughs> um, suggests is that these are rarely fully formed humanoid figures. Um, now, again, this differs a little bit from what we see when we have shadow figures in sleep paralysis, which I'll talk about. But these are often just sort of um, dark gray, almost black, kind of amorphous shapes Okay, that kind of are there and then are not there. So for something like that to exist, it seems very reasonable that it may be just a figment of our imagination. Our brains do crazy things. I mean, there are times when, like, again, if you push your hands against your eyes, right, and you see shapes and sparks and not sparks. I was, I was going to suggest floaters. Floaters, yes. Uh, tell us about floaters. <laughs> when you hit middle age. <laughs> They appear in your eyeballs. It's basically just the vitreous, like your eyes as they age, the little vitreous fluid or whatever in your eyes starts to flake off. And so those will go in front of your optic nerve. And so you'll see, or your cornea, I don't know. I don't know eyes, but you'll see them. And I had one actually last semester, last semester that I had a big blind spot and I woke up in a panic and I had to go to the eye doctor and he was like, it's a really big floater, and I felt no <laughs> Well, the but nice I could. But I'm just saying. But those fl good, you know, floaters that aren't a serious problem sort of appear and then disappear as you blink. Right. I don't actually know if that's a good explanation, but 
Well, one of the things that I did read about is that while many of the times these are um, very brief experiences, like, again, it's something just out of the corner of your eye that's there and is not there, one of the um, sites I was reading about had suggested that what we're seeing is a trend towards these shadow figures actually staying longer, um, actually being present longer, and actually seeming to observe, right? Mm-hmm. They don't interact, but they observe. Now, that's one theory, though. They say, hey, our brain's figment of our imagination. We just screwed this stuff up. Our brain doesn't know what's going on. Uh, whatever, we drifted off. Now, another explanation is that what we're actually seeing are ghosts. I was going to say aliens. Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Don't steal my thunder. Sun- my, oh, my, my thunder. I'm my sorry. thunder. <laughs> my sun- thunder. Don't steal your thunder. <laughs> um, ghosts is another explanation okay. that's often put forward. And the interesting thing, though, is, of course, uh, we sort of lack any sort of scientific rigor because the minute we say, well, perhaps it's a ghost, um, the first question we should ask is, well, what exactly is a ghost? What are we defining? What are we looking at? And what we actually find, or what I found, and you can comment on this, you actually are a historian of race amongst many other things. Um, We actually tend to find that ghosts tend to be a little bit racist, Right, And here's the difference between ghosts and shadow figures, at least as far as the internet chat rooms suggest, is that ghosts tend to be um, apparitions that are almost always misty white. Okay, They're almost always white. They're almost never black or gray or shadowy, right? Ghosts are almost always this misty, white, vaporous apparition that also are decidedly human-like. Right? We actually see human figures. We often see faces. Usually they have clothes on. We rarely ever have. I've, well, I've never seen a ghost. I, don't, I haven't read a lot about naked ghosts. Have you read anything about a naked ghost? No, other than the movie 13 Ghosts. <laughs> I never saw that movie. <laughs> and which one of them is naked? Because she died. She committed suicide in the bathtub. Okay. So she was nude. But I think it was an attempt to get boobs in the movie. <laughs> Well, they are a selling point. But uh, yes, I mean, you all, right, and there's that ongoing joke about, I'm going to curse here in a second, everybody, but that joke that kind of floats around Facebook every now and again that why are all ghosts, like, pre, you know, 20th century? It's like, when are we going to have a ghost that pops out and goes, it's Britney, bitch! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So... That's another explanation that they're ghosts, but there does seem to be a disconnect between what we think are ghosts or how we usually identify and associate ghosts. And again, ghosts tend to be very period, right? And often ghosts don't even appear as a manifestation. We often just will hear rapping or footsteps or um, disembodied giggles or laughters or shrieks or various kind of fragments of sayings if you were to use some sort of... um, Um, spirit box to kind of hear a voice or a sound or something like that. And maybe one of these podcasts will actually maybe do some discussion of the technologies around ghost hunting. That could be an interesting conversation. So listeners, if you're interested in learning more about that, about all the tools of science that the ghost adventurers use, we're happy to maybe get some information and talk about those and tell you how they might work or how they're supposed to work in theory. Well, and I was going to say also, just to make a quick point about your racist ghosts. Yes. Most ghost hunter shows are white folks who are looking for ghosts. But you and I watched an episode, and then I watched more on my own, of a 
series of ghost hunters. It was called Ghost Brothers. And it was basically three black friends who were also ghost hunters. And interestingly, they would often go to locations in which allegedly um, you know, deceased black folks were haunting. Very interesting. I yeah. did enjoy that episode. Yeah. They went to an old um, plantation. Yeah. And he, like, dropped a ring or something like that. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, now, one thing, though, again, people who, again, have had ghost sightings um, versus people who have had shadow people sightings, again, the people who have seen ghosts can often in great detail describe facial features. They can describe a style of clothing, like, oh, it was a little girl. She had a ponytail. She was in Victorian, a Victorian dress or... It was a little boy in a sailor suit, or it was the sea captain, right? I could see the the epa, uh, the epaulets, right, or whatever, right? We can def- describe that in some detail, and lots of other details as well. Now, the only detail that people seem to be able to describe consistently in shadow people sightings um, tend to be, and this is a little creepy, glowing red eyes. Mothman. Mothman. He has glowing red eyes. Could be Mothman. But don't we usually see wings with Mothman? I don't know. So, you know when the Mothman movie came out? Yes. Okay. Went and saw it with a friend of mine. She'll kill me if I tell if I say her name, so I will not. But I went and saw it with a friend of mine, and we were driving back. And I kind of, you know, at this time I was living in my hometown. It's kind of a rural-ish area. And lots of people had those red reflectors at the end of their driveways. And I turned a corner, and they were glowing. And she just smacked me, like, across the chest. It was like, fuck it, go on. <laughs> I started screaming. Sorry, I shouldn't curse, but. Beep. <laughs> that was me censoring it after the fact. Ex- expletive. Yes. And then started to assault me on the drive because I just kept going. And she was like, it's here. It's like, it's just the red reflectors at the end of the driveway. But apologies for that weird tangent. There you go. But red, red glowing eyes. Now, Ghost is a potential explanation, although, again, shadow figures don't seem to match up with our normal understandings or thinkings about what ghosts are like, so it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I'm still kind of leaning towards figments of our imagination, but there are some other things that we can talk about. One, and this is far outside my personal realm of expertise because uh, I am not a religious practitioner, but there is a suggestion that these are actually demons of some sort Uh or spirit entities, so... Often when people see shadow figures, um, while they don't have interactions with them, again, often shadow figures appear as fleeting things, or sometimes, at least according to the chats, um, they're sticking around and just kind of watching and observing. But one thing that's often associated with these shadow figures is um, a malevolent feeling or malevolent sort of dark countenance of some sort. And... Some researchers seem to speculate that these then may be demonic in nature. Now, again, things that are demonic are not paranormal, necessarily. They're more supernatural because the demon realm is outside of the natural order, um, and it can never be part of the natural order, at least as far as I understand from the stuff we've talked about Mm -hmm. in the past. So it does raise a question um, that if they are demons, uh, why are they here and why aren't they interacting in a more sort of um, direct way? Right. Um, because if we believe the um, 
uh, sort of mythologies or stories or narratives around demons, there is they are part of a much larger struggle between good and evil who seek to subvert sort of good in the world. And maybe they're just trying to scare the good out of us? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? If they were demons, why would they be doing this and not like scratching, scratching on the walls like we often hear demons do? Can I just say they're not demons? You can say they're not demons. They're not demons. Why do you think they're not demons? Because if, again, if we're kind of... If we believe in what Christianity has to say about demons, and other religious you know, backgrounds do have stories of demons. Yes. But generally their goal is to, you know, pervert humanity and sort of, you know, undermine God's forgiveness and plan for humanity to end up in heaven, right? So I would assume, I mean, if I see a shadow figure, it's not like I'm... You know, thinking I'm our, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but basically I just don't think they're demons. Fair enough. I suppose if you see a shadow figure, you can ask them. <laughs> hey. Like, Damon? <laughs> Damon? <laughs> hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I have to know. Are you a demon? I mean, I'm not going to do quite as much uh, finger wagging as you were just doing here in the room, but. I would imagine if I saw something that I suspect it was a demon, there would be the big finger stop. Stop. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, first what of all, that's a terrible you? finger wag. He just did a terrible finger wag. you got to do it just with the finger. Whatever. Don't judge me. I do. All right. Okay. So, ghosts, demons. Um, another interesting theory, and this is something that I am intrigued by. I don't pretend to understand it or um, necessarily subscribe to the belief system surrounding it. But another theory about shadow people is that what we actually are seeing are... Not separate, distinct entities of some sort, but we're actually seeing uh, shadowy essences of people who are actually engaging in some form of out-of-body experience or astral projection. So there is um, a discussion about how when we sleep, for example, we often, our dreams are actually an astral projection where we're kind of traveling out of our bodies in different planes. We're actually tied together um, by what's called the silver thread. And so many of us, for example, have experienced that sense of uh, right before we wake up that we're falling and we snap awake right right before we hit the ground. So we don't actually hit the ground, but we wake up right before it happens. The literature around astral projection, some of it suggests that that is us. We have been astral projecting and we're now having a bad reentry. And so that's what snaps us awake. So... Um, there are people who suggest that we all travel out of our body uh, in certain ways, especially when we sleep, and that these shadow figures are just kind of a uh, these essences as we are astral projecting and other people are picking up on our astral projections. Huh. Now, again, I find that a really interesting thought, right? I like the idea of astral projection, and there are lots of books. There's lots of videos on the YouTubes and the internets about how to create a state that is conducive to astral projection. Um, I have never had an astrally projected experience that I can recall. Do you have any thoughts about this whole astral projection? Why would I astral project into somebody else's house to watch them cook dinner? Maybe you're looking for a recipe. huh? Do you ever think about that? Maybe the, 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 the delivered food box is no longer sufficient to meet the diversity of your food interests. Uh-huh. Now, personally, if it were me, I would probably project into someone's bathroom. If only, if only. I don't, I don't 
don't want to be in someone's bathroom. Well, not while they're in it. I would project it. I'm always intrigued by what people have in their bathrooms. What? Don't you wonder what's in people's toiletry cabinets? No. Why not? It's, it's so interesting. That is a true measure of a person. So you're going to astral project, and what you want to know is what kind of moisturizer someone uses. Yes. I have very dry skin. <laughs> it would be nice to First get better all, information. First of all, Second of all, <laughs> weirdo. No, not weirdo. Amazon is not useful. The reviews are not useful. And lots of people suffer from similar ailments. I would like to know. But, again, astral projectors or what sometimes people call twilight travelers, um, that's just another <laughs> – did you just laugh at twilight traveler? <laughs> I did indeed. <laughs> I'm a twilight traveler. Um, that's another possible explanation, that we're really seeing something – um, that it's just a, a manifestation of a human experience. Now, especially if you just took a big old drink of Diet Mountain Dew, check this one out, okay? Another theory about shadow figures is that it's not ghosts, not demons. Aliens? No, it's time travelers. It's the doctor? Time travelers, yes. So basically... Basically, the argument is... That people from the future have found out how to travel back in time and back to our time in particular. Again, to um, rifling your kitchen? Yeah, and essentially, according to the stuff I've read, which I'm sure is well researched, more research than I did on it, um, what it suggests is that these are people who are just passing shadows as they observe our timeline. So this is not Doc Brown and Marty, right, who are like, Doc, we got to go back to the future, right, to figure out how I'm not going to sleep with my mom and screw up my entire life, right? That movie is really weird if you unpack it. First of all, that's not my time travel reference. It's always going to be Doctor Who. I know, but I'm significantly more mature than you are, so... <laughs> is that how you... is that Yes, how you... that is exactly... He's saying he's old. I'm not old. I'm older, than some and younger than many. But anyway, <laughs> my reference is really, my time travel reference was originally, again, uh, Back to the Future, right? Yes. But those are people who actually physically travel back and manifest as real physical things that interact with the timeline. And the same is true of the doctor, right? Of course, that yeah. the doctor actually interacts with the timeline as well. This, because they're shadow figures and they don't really interact, it basically, again, is very similar to astral projection in that it is an intersection of sort of planar or time experiences, right? And again, it's really complex in this metaphysical way that there's multiple planes, time is not linear, time is planar, right? So basically you could imagine multiple dimensions of time that could intersect and they don't actually interact, but they just happen to place layer on top of each other. It's kind of like the old tracing papers that we had as kids or I had as a kid, uh -huh. right? That you could lay tracing paper and lay tracing paper and you could trace different things, but they never actually create the same drawing at the same time. Right. They just all together, when they layer on top of each other, they create a different experience, even though they're never directly interacting with each other. That's very complicated, right? Yeah, and I'm not going to lie, you look like you were voguing. Really? Yeah. Awesome. He was he was trying to show me <laughs> via you know hand gestures what was happening. And there because was some... that's exactly what one should do in a podcast, describe things with your hands. Correct. <laughs> um, but you did. You look like you were voguing. That's right, I suppose. I mean, you were still, you were kind of in the fluid part of the voguing. Ah, gotcha. So, again, 
Time Traveler is very similar to Astral Projection. Now, another thing that exists is um, not aliens, interdimensional beings. Thetans? Now, you, you might be wondering, not beings. <laughs> I said Thetans. Scientology. Oh, I don't know what you're... Oh, okay. So, people on the podcast might not know that I also have a weird obsession with cults. Or, sorry, new religious movements. Thank in case you. one of our colleagues is listening. So, I, re- I watch a lot of document- documentaries on Scientology. I also recently watched a new excellent documentary on Heaven's Gate. Which I don't know if you remember the Heaven's Gate folks. Me vaguely, yes. Um, and both of them, like, so Scientologists believe that you are actually, like, this interdimensional spirit being called a Thetan. Um, and Heaven's Gate also, it was a little confusing, but also kind of believe that you're not actually human. You are these beings that are from space but aren't aliens. Kind of like interdimensional beings. Huh. Very huh? interesting. There you go. Yeah. Well, the interdimensional being argument... Um, Again, and I'm a social scientist, so while I'm a real scientist, I'm not a physicist. It's one that, in the abstract, I sort of understand, but I want to read directly sort of this explanation because I don't want to mess it up with my um, complicated, twisted explanations, if that is okay. Go for it. So, basically, according to this uh, chat space that I found... What they argue is that mainstream science is convinced that there are dimensions other than the three that we inhabit. Okay? So there's three dimensions that we can inhabit. And that if these other dimensions do exist, that other things could inhabit them. Right? So there are some theories that suggest that these other dimensions exist parallel or very close to our own. And even though they are invisible to us, these inhabitants in these other dimensions could have found a way to intrude upon our dimension and appear as shadows or partially visible to us. So it's a little bit like uh, the Doctor Who episode where they thought they were seeing ghosts, that the ghosts have returned. And it was the back when Rose was still yeah, I remember on the, the doctor. And they, they were actually not ghosts, but they were something else from another dimension that had found a way to manifest and then finally fully manifest as physical beings in, this, in our world. Now, psychics um, and other people who claim to be sensitive to some sort of extrasensory experiences... Um, have long maintained that um, beings that exist in these other dimensions uh, are of different, uh, quote, vibrations. And science, I guess, according to this particular piece, is starting to look at how on a quantum level that the particles of smallest sizes actually vibrate in a similar type fashion. Um, So... Some theorize that the vibrations of our existence are beginning to mesh with those of other dimensions, which is causing these other dimensions to become interested in us, which accounts for the increase in ghosts, shadow people, and possibly our final explanation for shadow people. Aliens? Aliens. So, alien abduction phenomena are um, widespread. Lots of people have maintained that they have been abducted. 
and in certain cases experimented on by alien. And so it's no surprise really that there is an overlap between extraterrestrial interactions and shadow people. Now, abductees have reported that in many of these cases, aliens seem able to pass through walls, through windows, they appear, they disappear abruptly, and they have other um, abilities and talents that clearly are not of this world. So perhaps, again, at least as the chat suggests, they can go about their alien agenda disguised as shadows. Now, you are very excited about the alien component of this. So what, what's your thoughts on aliens as shadow people? Oh, I don't think it's real at all. But <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just like, I just like to be like, it's aliens. Um, no, I mean, I believe that there is life on other planets, but I don't think they're rocking out in the, uh, on Earth. Why wouldn't they rock out on Earth? Why would they? Vogue? I mean... Bernie Sanders in mittens no. on the steps of the Capitol? <laughs> yeah. No. 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 I actually, I had a speaking of aliens, and we'll probably talk more about aliens in a different episode in some detail. Again, depends on what you guys want to hear about, so let us know. Um, remember, PhD Paranormal, check out our Facebook page. Of course, if you want to send us money, you can, but you have no addresses to do so, so don't worry about it. Don't send us money <laughs> yet. <laughs> Anyway, Patreon. I had a long conversation once with a friend of mine with whom I worked uh, back when I was a server in the day, and he steadfastly denied any sort of belief in aliens. And I suggest, this is a suggestion, again, I'm not saying I believe that aliens are coming to America or coming to the world and abducting humans and experimenting and interacting, but it is quite possible in the sort of Star Trek um, trope that planet Earth is just becoming interesting, right? We're actually starting to send stuff out in the space. You know, we're basically making a lot more noise and people may be noticing, which might explain why, we were, why we're seeing more activity being reported now. But anyway, that's a different story. Truth of the matter is, with shadow people, right, it's really a mystery, right? We don't have any way to prove or disprove any of these potential theories. And the odd thing about shadow people is they often happen like that. They're there and they're not there. So it's not like we can run controlled experiments that would allow us to catalog or study these phenomena in any sort of methodical way. Now, all we can do is try to look at personal experiences of of those who have interacted or seen something like a shadow person and talk about those. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before we talk about your friend's story Mm -hmm. um, is shadow people as associated with sleep paralysis. Okay, so often when we t- these things that we've been talking about here, these shadow figures, these seem, at least according to the sites I was looking at, these all seem to be associated with sort of waking moments, right? Where you're just sort of hanging out and suddenly you see something, whether it's out of the corner of your eye or maybe it appears and kind of manifests for longer. Sleep paralysis is a very different experience, and sleep paralysis is widely reported across both men and women of all ages around the globe. So it's not a a sex-specific phenomenon, it's not an age-specific phenomenon, it's not a culturally-specific phenomenon, which to me suggests that sleep paralysis has something to do with the chemicals and chemistry in our brains Mm -hmm. 
as we are trying to sleep. But if you haven't experienced sleep paralysis, um, I can tell you from personal experience, it's actually a really terrifying experience because it occurs in those sort of lucid dreamlike moments where you are in your sleeping space and you are convinced that you are awake, right? That's what it feels like. It feels like you are awake, but you cannot move, okay? You now, often the stories are it feels like something is sitting on your chest. Um, I've never had that experience. Mm-hmm. Mine has been simply that I cannot move. Um, and then it's also been associated with the sense that there's either something or someone in the space with you. And usually you are trying to move because you're trying to get away from it because it is so malevolent or terrifying in, in the sense. Now, Something I watched this not very good documentary on sleep paralysis a couple years ago. Um, but one of the things that was consistent across um, the cultural experiences, because they had interviewed people from all around the world about sleep paralysis, was the idea that often people would see a shadow figure. And in this case, it was much more detailed than the shadow figures that we had been talking about previously, which are kind of amorphous, just kind of dark gray. These have been identified as the shadow man in the hat, right? That it's usually a humanoid figure. However you choose to identify it, it comes across as male and it has a hat, right? And that's a common feature across these cultural descriptions, which I think is actually really interesting, Mm -hmm. right? Because... One would think if we had different cultural phenomenon, even if it was a hat, that the hats would look different. But the stories of the hats are pretty consistent, that they always look very similar in how they're described. So sleep paralysis is another space in which we can have these shadow people experiences. And many people suggest that sleep paralysis is something has come in, right, and that they're messing with the space and you can't get away and that it's very dangerous if you were to interact with them. Um, that maybe it is a rip in some sort of an interdimensional portal or something like that. Um, again, whenever I had sleep paralysis, I eventually wake up, and it is terrifying. It is a terrifying mm-hmm. sensation, but I do believe that that is much more chemical in nature. I mean, I just think that our brains are full of stuff that we don't understand, and it does weird things as we're trying to sleep. Yeah. But, again, shadow people are real experiences that people have. Now, why they have them, we don't know, but we're going to turn our attention to Dr. Evans' friend who had a very spooky story that they sent to us via our email. Yeah, and I did get her permission to use her first name. So this is the story, and her name is Lee. And I actually think I'm going to read what she wrote because she's an excellent writer. I think she does a very good job at telling her story in a way that is... Um, you know, interesting and a little spooky. Um, So I think I'm just going to kind of read what she wrote. And if you have interjections, obviously, feel free. So she writes, I've never taken the time to write these things out and have only ever shared with people close to me, for I, as most people, don't wish to be seen as crazy. That's a fair fair concern. Yes. And she did. I'm not going to read all of this just because I think there's a little bit too much identifying info here. But she did want to say, you know, she's a professional. She's in her 40s. And her background is in applied cultural anthropology and archaeology. And she currently works with the government. 
serving Native American, Alaska Native, and Pacific Islander communities. Excellent. Very good work, actually. Yes. Now, she grew up in rural West Texas. In where? Stop it. Rural. Rural. I can't say the word horror. I can't say the word rural. She grew up in West Texas in a very small community. She says that there was about 1,600 people. She says, I went to school with roughly the same 36 kids from preschool to high school. My hometown doesn't even have traffic lights, just stop signs. And the sidewalks are rolled up at 5 p.m. every day. To say it's quiet is an understatement. One of my very earliest memories is of standing in my crib at night, holding on to the side, looking at a man standing in my bedroom doorway. So I'm not sure how old she is, but we're talking probably toddler. Yes. And of course, this is all pre-Supernatural because that was the experience in Supernatural, right? Yeah. Aww. I recall that my crib was in the corner of my bedroom by one of the two windows. I would often wake up and pull myself up to look out the window by pulling the curtain aside, and I guess it was one of these instances when I first saw this man. I mentioned the windows because there was a street light just across the street that illuminated my bedroom, so I could usually see fairly well, even at night. The man was huge, filling up my entire doorway, and always wore the same clothes. A fedora a tan overcoat with the belt tied at the waist, black gloves, black, and she has a little question mark here, so I don't think she knows 100%, suit, pants, and patent leather shoes. I could see the shine on them from the streetlight. And he just stood there and grinned at me, never moving. I could see him well enough that I could tell his skin didn't look right. I remember as a kid thinking he looked like he was melting, though it would be more accurate to say he appeared to have been burned. I also recall that his hands were always clenched in fists. I saw him off and on until I was 13 years old, both physically in my bedroom doorway and also in my dreams. And the latter, he was always doing the same thing, staring and grinning. Also, I did ask Lee, like if she had ever asked like her parents if there had been, if this was a ghost. And no one in her family that she at least said had like an immediate experience with this person And also, according to her mom, there had never been, like, any deaths in the house or anything like that. Or not that they knew of. Right. Okay. She goes on to say, as a kid, I never really doubted that he was real. He was right there, looking as solid as anything else around me. And he was terrifying. I knew that no one would believe me. I had tried telling my mother, but she just thought I was having nightmares, which were the only kind of dreams I had for most of my childhood. I often woke up her and my brother with my screams from whatever nightmare I was having. Anyway, I just sort of learned to live with it and figured I'd never have any kind of confirmation and no one to believe me. And what would anyone do to help me with some weird ghost man that grins at me at night? (laughs) Fair point. However, confirmation came one night when I was 12, when I went to spend the night with my friend Pam. It was summertime, and her brother also had a friend spending the night, who was a classmate. And her parents had gone to Abilene with friends for dinner, which was like 30, 40 minutes away. It was not uncommon to leave kids our age home to look after themselves. I mean, I was, I had an older sister, but I'd be home. Sometimes my parents went out for the night. Hey, Gen X, strong. I'm a millennial, technically. I know, I don't like to talk about it. It makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) 
Okay, so as I mentioned, this is a really quiet area, but we were surrounded by neighbors we knew. At some point around like 9 p.m. or so, Pam decided it'd be a good idea for she and I to ride our bikes around the block. We rode down toward the Baptist church, where both of our families were members, and I said I wanted to stop to look in the front doors to see what carpet they installed in the sanctuary. By this account, I was actually a 76-year-old woman. Exactly. I was just going to say, <laughs> it's an interesting point of pause for a 12-year-old. I wonder what the carpet looks like. She says, what 12-year-old gives a damn about church carpet? Me, apparently. We just stopped in the middle of the street, straddling our bikes and peering in the front doors, facing the nearest intersection because the church sat on a corner. While I'm still looking in the church, Pam gasps, and I immediately turn to face the intersection where she was looking. Just at the edge, well, sorry, just at the edge of the pool of light from the street light on the opposite corner, a man seemed to just appear and was walking very steadily toward us. He was wearing a fedora, a long tan overcoat with the belt tied at the waist, black suit pants, and black patent leather shoes, his hands still clenched in fist, but this time his head and hands were thickly wrapped in what appeared to be gauze bandages. There were holes where eyes and a mouth should be, but no discernible features. My mind raced for an explanation. First of all, no one in their right mind would be out on a summer night in West Texas dressed like that. The temperature was likely still in the upper 80s or even low 90s. Secondly, he looked just like the ghost man I'd been seeing all this time. I mean, she says, I just assumed he was ghost. How else did he get in my house in my dreams? Fair. What was he doing here? And she goes, and Pam can see him. (laughs) She was terrified and screamed that we needed to get out of there. But my curiosity was about to eclipse my own terror. Because now there were new questions. Pam sees him? How? Why? What's he doing here outside my house? Is he following me? Why would he follow me? What is he if he's not a ghost haunting my house? Basically, what the hell is happening? Pam has now left me in the proverbial dust, and I'm racing to catch up with her, the bandaged man still walking steadily in our direction. I looked back twice, and he was still there, still walking. I didn't look again as I rounded the corner back to her house. We cut through the alley to the backyard, throwing the bikes down and running up the steps to the porch. We get to the door, and it's locked. Whereupon, her brother and his friend thinks it's hilarious to keep us locked out. We pitched enough of a fit that they could see we were actually scared, and they let us in, and we immediately told them to make sure everything was locked and started closing all the blinds, curtains, etc. Pam starts rattling out our ordeal when her older brother makes us sit down in the living room and tell the story from top to bottom. At this point, we had only been gone for about 15 or 20 minutes, But to this day, it felt like an eternity. He couldn't understand what had transpired in such a short amount of time to have us that upset. He and his friend both looked dumbfounded, but they didn't give us any more grief. Her brother went and got two pieces of paper and pencils and asked us to draw what we saw. We draw the same thing. I had never told Pam that I'd seen that thing before, and I didn't tell anyone there that night because I wasn't sure if they might think I was somehow responsible. Personally, I didn't need to tell them because all that mattered to me was that someone else saw him too, and that was all the confirmation I needed. I'm now a grown woman, sitting in my own home, with my dog asleep on the couch, and I still feel a touch of relief when I remember that I finally wasn't alone. I also still feel a twinge of fear that he'll reappear some night. 
And I followed up, asked her a couple questions. She had said basically no one that she knew of had died in their house or anything like that. She actually didn't tell anyone until she told her brother. I think she said around 2006. And her brother suggested that she read the Mothman prophecies. So she did. And she's still not really sure who this person was. She thinks he might be part of the men in black phenomena, um, which has to do with, if my understanding loosely, that it's somehow associated with UFOs, but it's not entirely clear. Um, but she's still not sure what it was. And she hasn't seen it since she was 12 or I think 13. she said about 13-ish was about the last time she saw him, if I read her um, story correctly. Right. Well, it's an interesting experience, and of course, as we talk about these sorts of things, um, one of the perpetual questions that seems to surround these types of experiences is, one, WTF, right? Because, <laughs> of course, that's terrifying. Um, and what's interesting is that her story is terrifyingly consistent over time and actually outside of the house. But the other thing that I find particularly interesting is if this were something like a shadow person or some sort of an entity or an alien or any one of the lists that we had talked about, why does it suddenly stop? That's the interesting question, right? Because you have these experiences consistently, like she said, from the age of a toddler to 13. Mm-hmm. Um, why would suddenly this no longer happen? Now, I know, for example, with poltergeists, There's a lot of conversations about how poltergeists are actually manifestations of negative energy angst from people who are going through puberty, teens going through puberty, that sort of manifest Mm -hmm. physically. Now, I would not suggest this because obviously toddler through 13 is not that same kind of period of time. But it does raise lots of questions. And again, what's interesting about her story is the specificity of the memory, right? Um, Trench coat, belt, fedora, shoes, bandaged hands. Well, and what's interesting to me is he's not bandaged until she sees him on the street that night. Because when she's describing him before, she says his skin, like there looks like there's something wrong with his skin. Mm -hmm. And then when she and her friend sees him, he's suddenly in bandages. And, you know, she's saying when he's in her dreams or in her house, he's grinning at her. But then when she describes when they see him on the street, he doesn't have... A mouth or eyes that you right. can see. I wonder if she has <clears throat> spoken with her friend Pam, if they're still friends, and I wonder if Pam has any uh, any other stories that might continue to show that maybe there's a link, right? Um, that maybe you know she stopped seeing her, Lee stopped seeing the creature, and Pam started to see the creature, uh-huh. which would be terrifying <laughs> and the reason to end any friendship. Thank you for your creepy ghoul ghost. <laughs> Screw you. I'm out. But it is a it is a terrifying story. And again, not quite shadow person, but again, very much caught up in that narrative, especially the hat, you know, a figure, right, um, that manifests. Now, again. And also clearly not associated with sleep paralysis. Right. Because perhaps when she was small. And maybe seeing him in her dreams or something that could somehow be associated with, maybe not sleep paralysis, but, I mean, when I sleepwalk occasionally and I wake up, I feel like I've seen things. Right. But, you know, the second part of that story, she's wide awake. Yeah. Right? There's no doubt about it. She's not asleep. Yeah. So, um, 
I don't know. What is your verdict on her story? I mean, it's terrifying. Yes. People grinning, it's creepy. Like, if you don't know why they're smiling at... Like, when you smile, for example, because I'm telling you a funny story, it's not creepy, right? Right. Because there's a purpose for it. And an expected reaction. Correct. But I just... I was telling Ed about a story that creeps me out on Creepypasta, which he was not impressed by, but it scares me, called The Smiling Man, in which basically there's a story of a guy who's out walking at night... And he sees a man who is kind of like dance walking and is just grinning up at the sky and he's, you know, weirded out by it. And basically the guy starts to chase him and is just grinning. And it's just the idea of the grinning. <laughs> it's creepy. Yes. I did not find the story particularly compelling, but um, maybe I wasn't in the right spook space for I, it. I think he looked at me and he goes, so he smiles? Yes. And I said, yes. And he's like, okay. Yes. It's I- creepy, Dr. Ed. I, I don't deny your feelings <laughs> <laughs> on the issue. But, yeah, I don't know what it is. But, I, you know, you know, it, it's interesting that Lee felt like she had to preface all this by saying, I'm not crazy. Right. I'm an adult. I'm a professional. I'm highly educated, which she is. In order to make it feel like you should believe what happened to me. Right, provide legitimacy. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, you know, it, we are very quick to dismiss anyone's story um, because we think it's not true. But even if the experience is not something that we can validate, it is an experience that they have validated yeah. in their minds, and that gives it meaning and impact to them. So, you know... I think that perhaps as researchers or people who are interested in the paranormal, we should be more willing to listen to people's experiences and stories and validate them as opposed to leaning on the side of skepticism and saying, well, I'm sure you're just crazy, right? Because, again, most of the time people are afraid to share these sorts of stories. Um, So if you're a listener and you have a story and you don't want to share it because you're afraid people will think you're crazy, share it with us because we won't think you're crazy. No, and obviously I asked permission before I used Lee's name. Yes. Um, And I also took out some additional identifying info from the story, just so that there's not even a possibility, hopefully, that people would figure out who she is. So if you you want it to be completely anonymous, that's absolutely fine. But the other thing, and I just happened to think about this, and Lee, if you're listening, I apologize. She she is a very um, great... A supporter of our podcast. Fantastic. So, Lee, since you're probably listening, if our broadcasting of the story suddenly causes this creature to manifest back into your well, life. I'm not even laughing. No. Don't <laughs> after even put 27 no. years, we are sorry. <laughs> don't even put that into the universe, man. <laughs> well, too late now. Um, so that's really what we have for you today. Again, some things to chew on. We're always interested in your comments and questions and internet and stories. And stories. Because obviously Ed and I have had fairly limited uh, you know, experiences with the paranormal. Yes. Um, so we love to hear other people's stories. Yes. So even if they're not even if perhaps you don't feel like you're as talented a writer as Lee, that's okay. Right? Just send us your stories. Right. Because I think What you'll find is that a lot of our listeners would probably have some common experiences, common threads that speak to larger sort of narratives that exist in the paranormal or supernatural world 
that are worth exploring and talking about. Again, we can't promise to solve any more problems than the internet can solve problems because that's where we get most of our information. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm not solving <laughs> Lee's problem. Right. Um, but as we wrap things up for today, um, I do want to just remind you that if you do see shadow people, right, take some time to kind of reflect upon that experience. And if it's something worth talking about, talk to someone about it. Um, don't keep it to yourself because um, you're not crazy. You did have some sort of an experience. But, you know, maybe as we talk about shadow figures, you know, maybe these are just things that have always existed that are now becoming much more prevalent in our life because of changing circumstances, changing conditions. Maybe it is about doorways that exist between, you know, different planes of existence, right? Interdimensional travelers, aliens, the doctor, right? You know, Marty and Doc Brown, <laughs> you know, whatever it happens to be. Or maybe... They're just shadows, right, mm -hmm. of nothing. But they're still worth thinking about. Now, when we return in a couple of weeks with our next podcast, yeah. as Dr. Evans suggested, we're going to talk about ghostly hometown experiences. Mm -hmm. So if you are one of our listeners and you happen to have hailed from or lived in Bozeman, Montana, and you know spooky stories, please feel free to share them with us on PhD Paranormal. We could talk about the Lurkheim Mansion. We can talk about the old Montana State Theater. There's lots of things that I know about, but I want to know what you know about. And same thing for Evansville, Indiana. Um, the Willard Library. There's some other spooky places hanging out in Evansville. So if you are a listener and know anything, let us know. And until such a time as we talk again, always turn on the lights, always look for shadows, and we'll see you again. And beware eye floaters. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye, everybody.